It's a bright, sunny August morning in 1979. 22-year-old Lynn Oliver is walking home from her work on her lunch break. She was last seen leaving her workplace at 11.40 a.m. that morning and was never seen again. Everyone in the community knows who took her, but the disappearance remains unsolved today. Why is this? What or who is stopping people from talking? This is Season 2, Episode 4 of Cold Canada, taken in broad daylight, the suspicious disappearance of Lynn Oliver. The following case contains descriptions of domestic violence against women. Listener discretion is advised. Before starting this story, I want to give special thanks to Lynn's younger sister, Judy Andrews, for speaking with me about this case and providing some personal information that will be peppered throughout this episode. Judy Andrews, I'm Lynn's sister. Uh, I live in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. I'm 62. <laughs> so um, that's about it. We've lived with this for a long, long time. This story begins over 40 years ago in the rural town of Stellarton, Nova Scotia. A part of Pictou County, Stellarton is situated along the northeast coast of the province and is home to approximately 4,200 people. It's safe to say everyone was at least familiar with everyone in the community. Lynn worked at a small laundromat called Quality Cleaners. It was located in the town of Stellarton on Stellarton Road, and it was about a 30-minute walk from there to Lynn's home, where she lived with her mother, stepfather, and her nearly two-year-old son, Jeff. To get a better sense of the area in which Lynn was last seen alive, I asked Judy to describe it for me. Uh, that that was Stellarton Road, which was, uh, um, it was a little bit busy, and nothing major, though, you know, just... Uh, you know, uh, car, you know, of course, through the day, it would be a bit more busy because that's, you know, where the malls are and where, you know, most of the businesses are there. And the quality cleaners is right on that corner there, um, which was right with, you know, most businesses. And then up the road is the mall and stuff like that. So where she would be uh, coming out of quality cleaners to, um, walk home she started walking home actually from what i understand she started walking home so she would be there would be a bit of traffic there and would be people who seen her walking there that's what is um not uh clear to me why um it, nothing was seen because you know yeah. there would be traffic there to see her walking yeah because it wasn't like a rural area it was more like the the town Exactly. There were, yes, and there there was businesses there all along that most of that strip, especially when you come out of quality cleaners. Like across the street, there was a business and mostly all up in that area. When you get further up, there is not there. But right there where she was with quality cleaners, there was businesses there. And then uh, when you walk a little bit further, there's businesses all up along there. So um, I couldn't understand why people didn't see her. Yeah, because it was uh, in the middle of the day. Right, or early, yeah. you know, or later in the morning, right. people would have been around. Right, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was, I would say it would be, you know, quite busy at that time. And not that, it was around noon, you know, it was around one, it was noon, around the, right yeah, the time that people would be going out for lunch or lunch taking their break exactly. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I never understood. It was reported by co-workers that Lynn left the quality cleaners at 11.40 a.m. on August 25th, 1979. 
she had called her mother, Lois, just before leaving to ask her for a drive home. Her stepfather, Mike, was already out with the family vehicle, and being it was in the late 70s, wasn't able to be reached to ask him to pick her up on his way back. So she starts on foot on Stellarton Road towards home, anxious to see her son. As Judy described, the area she left was the core of the town. There were multiple businesses around, as well as a mall. It was around lunchtime, yet no one had come forward saying they witnessed seeing her walking that day. According to Judy, it would have taken Lynn about 10 to 15 minutes to get out of that busier area and into the more rural part of the town, depending on, of course, how fast she was walking. Here's the strange part. Mike arrived home about five minutes after Lynn was speaking with her mother and set off right away to go pick her up. He knew if he started driving towards town, he would meet up with her walking. Driving down the main road, he couldn't find her. There's no way he could have missed her. There were no other people on the road. This was odd, but wasn't alarming at the time. At 1 p.m., Lois received an unforgettable call. Lynn had left a note with her coworkers with specific instructions. If she doesn't return from her lunch break, wait 30 minutes and then call her mother. Her coworkers reported that Lynn was nervous that morning. She made it clear she was concerned for her safety. Lois immediately called the police, but they quickly dismissed her concerns. After all, Lynn had only been quote-unquote missing for less than an hour. They told her a local man had taken off around the same time, and it was assumed that they were running away together. But Lois knew better. Lynn would never leave her son behind, so she started searching for herself. Days turned into months. No evidence arose. By Christmas, four months after her disappearance, Lois stated she lost all hope of ever finding her, as she knew Lynn would never miss Christmas with her son. If she was out there on free will, she would have come back at least for Christmas. By the time police started taking her disappearance seriously, it was too late. There was no evidence found. Lots of friends, co-workers, and acquaintances were interviewed. They followed some leads that led them across Canada, but were too far gone. There has been no activity on her bank account, SIN, or MSI card. Side note, if you're not from Canada, MSI card is our health card that you provide to receive health care of any sort. Lynn was described as standing at 5 foot 5, 105 pounds. She was a slim woman, but as you'll hear Judy describe, a strong one. She stood her ground and had been through enough to know how to take care of herself. She had brown hair and pretty green eyes. There was more to her than just looks. She was special to a lot of people, a great friend, daughter, and sister. I'll let Judy describe her personality. Lynn was um, very, very... uh outgoing, like love life, uh, had a real nice personality. We give it, honestly, we give you the shirt off her back. Like, uh, she was just a kind person. All, you know, there would be nothing that she wouldn't do for you. Yeah, she very, very, uh, everybody loved her. You know, everybody loved her. There's nobody that didn't love her. And I also read that she was like a pretty strong, strong woman. Yeah, it's very strong woman, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very strong woman. Yeah, she had a, um, you know, like she wasn't a weak person. She was a person that went on her way and did did what she needed to do. You know, she was uh, she wasn't the kind of person to depend on other people. But like I say, she also enjoyed people in her life. 
It was confusing to family and friends as to why someone took Lynn. Why would someone want to hurt her? Despite her being a strong, independent woman, she did have a past with an abusive husband and was recently having issues with a local man harassing her. The day she went missing, she was on edge because of this man. He had threatened her multiple times over the past few months. Before starting the job at Quality Cleaners, she was hired to be a caregiver for a local woman. This woman was sick and needed more help than her adult son could provide. Needing the work, Lynn took the job gratefully. She was able to bring Jeff with her while she worked, which relieved her parents of any duty of childcare. She ran errands and helped out around the house, just basically helping making their lives a little easier. Unfortunately, it only made Lynn's much more difficult and scarier. Louis Seward Bowden was the one to bring Lynn in to help out with his ailing mother. At first, it was fine. Lynn would show up with Jeff, help around the house, run errands as needed, and go home at the end of the day. But Louis started showing some signs of control. He never wanted Lynn to leave, and he became obsessed. While Lynn was working, he would take Jeff and go run errands. This was all in an attempt to keep Lynn at the house. If Jeff wasn't there, she couldn't leave. Keep in mind, Jeff is less than two years old at this point. Louis would threaten that if she attempted to leave while he was gone with Jeff, he would hurt both of them. He's taking Jeff with him because you're staying. Like, it's not a choice for you. I'm taking this kid and you're gonna stay, okay? If you leave this house, you'll never see this kid again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's probably th there was threats involved with in well, regards I, to the child. I, yeah. 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 And I'll bury you up in the, he's probably telling her, I'll bury you up in the garbage dump out back. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. See, not a, it's not a normal situation here with this guy. He, he yeah. is, I remember one time mom was talking to one of the officers and said that when he was in jail, they just said, like, he's a sociopath. Like, you know, uh, one of the men said he's just, like, he's got no conscience. This was terrifying for Lynn. She had already gotten rid of one abusive husband and now this man was trying to control her and she needed to protect Jeff. Uh, Lynn went to look after his mother. Um, she was out there and she went to look after his mother that was not well. And the only reason she did that is she was able to take Jeff with her. Um, he was just a baby at the time. So he, she went to look after his mother and uh, then he took a fancy to her. And uh, what he used to do is that when she was looking after his mother, um, he didn't want her to leave. And he started taking Jeff with him when he'd leave the house so she couldn't leave. Okay. And then he got to the point where he thought, okay, well, she won't leave, you know, she won't leave. She likes me and she won't leave. So one day he didn't take Jeff and Lynn took off and came home. And this is where this all started with him. Uh, he had a thing with Lynn and uh, when she took off home, 
this is when this all started. Then she got another job down at the quality cleaners. And this is when all the trouble started that he just wouldn't leave her alone. He just, you know, the nothing, you know, I don't, I know, uh, you probably know his history. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, with women, he's got, he's got an awful history. Yes. And he, he just wouldn't let it be. He, he just wouldn't let it be. Eventually, she got the job at Quality Cleaners and left the position at the Bowdoin residence. She thought this was the end of it. She would get away from him and all would be fine. She was very, very wrong. Over the next while, Louis continued to stake her out and threaten her. It wasn't known what was said to her, but it was enough for her to leave the note with her co-workers the day she went missing. As I stated before, she was a tough woman. She wasn't going to let Louis or anyone else control her life with fear. She was way too stubborn for that, which is why she decided to walk home that day. It was originally thought she may have hitchhiked. It being the mid-70s, this was a common thing and would account for Mike not being able to spot her on the way to get her. Lois stated that she believed Lynn wasn't hitchhiking, but was forced into a vehicle, murdered, and the body was dumped and remains in the old landfill in Priestville. So who exactly is Louis Seward Bowden? Well, to say he is a violent man is an understatement. To give some context to the story and his history, I dug into his criminal past, and it is not pretty. If you are sensitive or triggered by descriptions of domestic violence, I will suggest you skip over the next few minutes. At now 62 years old, Bowden has a rap sheet longer than my arm. Between 2007 and 2014, Bowden was charged with aggravated assault, unlawful confinement, possession of a weapon for dangerous purposes, theft, breach of court orders, and the list goes on. He pleads guilty in 2007 and admitted he tortured his common-law wife, tied her to the bed, stuffed her mouth with a towel, and beat her with a pipe in their Coal Harbor home. He then went on to stab her in the jaw and leg. The torment went on for hours. The worst part about this whole ordeal was their 14-year-old son was forced to witness the entire event. After he decided he was finished, he ordered his son to clean up his mother's blood. It was reported Bowden's rage was fueled by crack cocaine. Sadly, this was not the end of the beating for his wife. Only a few days later, in another drug-fueled rage, Bowden hit her with the butt of a rifle and smashed her in the face with a barbell. In 2016, Bowdoin was appealing another charge from 2014. Three counts of assault, assault with a weapon, and five counts of breaching a probation order. The incident was a complaint made by a different woman he was living with at the time. She reported over a 45-day span, Bowdoin had repeatedly kicked, shoved, and grabbed her by the hair. He also threw a metal kettle at her, threw juice in her face, and spat at her. The incidents involved both parties having drug issues and Bowden flying into rages while high on crack cocaine. If you're interested in reading the entire court document, the link will be in the episode notes. So you get the point. This man was dangerous and clearly had a thing for beating women, and at 22 years old, was already showing signs of manipulating and controlling women. Judy told me a lot of people in the town were scared of the man. 
He had a violent past and would not be caught in a dark alley alone with him. In 2014, a witness who kept silent for all of these years came forward. Her family encouraged her to keep quiet due to the dangerous nature of Bowdoin. They didn't want her to be another victim. This witness originally told police what she saw, but at the time they didn't take her seriously. She told police again that she saw Lynn having her head shoved down into Bowdoin's car the day she went missing. She stated it was a brown vehicle and saw it at the corner of Albert and Marsh Street in New Glasgow, only about 2.5 kilometers from Stellarton Road. She said Bowdoin had looked right at her before getting into the car and heading towards Bowdoin Road. This witness was the last person to see Lynn alive. Um, and do you know anything about the, that, the witness that saw her in his car? Yes, I do. I do know. I do know that girl very well. Yes. And do you think she, like, waited because she was in fear of him as well? Oh, she's terrified of him. She always was. He was around her neighborhood most of his life. And this girl is terrified of him. To this day, she's terrified of him. Yeah, she was scared to death of him. Yeah, I've, I know this girl very well. Yeah, very nice girl. And uh, she says that, uh, like, she didn't know what to do because she was so scared of him. And people were telling her, like, he'll come and he'll kill you in your bed. This was a, this was a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. This all begs the question as to why Bowdoin was never charged. Police reported they were quote-unquote highly suspicious of a few people in the community, particularly her ex-husband and Bowdoin. But with no body and no DNA, there couldn't be any charges laid. There wasn't any evidence to suggest either man killed Lynn or that she is even dead at all. The even crazier thing is Lois reported in an interview that Bowdoin even kidnapped Lynn once for an entire week. He threatened Lynn, saying if she didn't go with him, he'd beat her mother up. It's unknown when this exactly occurred. I just saw that it's, it was something about like your mother saying that she, yeah. he took her for like a week and then... Yeah. Okay. He did. I remember a few things about that. He took her down in the woods and threatened to kill her and stuff like that. I, I do remember that to a certain extent. Yeah. He did her threaten to kill her that time. I remember that because he told her that nobody would ever find her body and stuff. To this day, this case is one of the longest-running cold cases for the New Glasgow Police Department. After over 40 years, the case is still considered a missing persons case, although foul play was suspected. Lynn's son Jeff told CBC in an interview, quote, everyone knows who did it, unquote, and is still desperate to find justice for his mother. He wishes the police would put a little more effort into the case and hopes someone will come forward with more information. He just wants closure and to give her a proper resting place. Judy told me in our interview that Jeff has been given a lot of information about his mother's disappearance over the years, and she isn't sure what he'll do with that information just yet. I think to a certain extent he's a little bit nervous of some of the people that were involved, and he's, um, I don't know how much further he would want to go with it. So I don't know um, how far he's going to go with it further than what he's gone already. Yeah. I think he kind of just, he got that information from the people and then I guess that would be, like, do you think that's enough for him? Or if, is it like, okay, these people are kind of, you know, they're not the greatest people, they're kind of scary, I'll just kind of, I'll 
take that information and leave it at that. Yeah, I, I now I don't know if you leave it at that, but he's kind of calmed down with it for a while now. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want these people to know that he knows this information type thing. Yeah, and fear that like they'll hurt him. Yeah. What Judy told me next really puts in perspective just how much something like this affects the families of the victims. In this clip, she explains just how afraid the family has been over the years and what she wants the public to know. I know it's been 40 years, um, but uh, what else would you uh, want people to know, either about the case, about her, just any anything in general that hasn't been put out there that you, that you would want people to know? Just that. People just don't understand like uh, what it's like for a family, especially a mother of a missing person, of, a, of, of you know, the mother is the one that, um, the family suffers, but a mother suffers the most, do you know? Mm -hmm. um, I watched my mother for 40 years, you know, just go through pure hell every day, you know? And, um, you know, Pictou County is a small community, and I know this man is, well, he'd probably be 64 now. Lynn would be 64, so I would say he'd be 64, 65. You know, it's about time to close this case, you know, and come forward and tell people, you know, it's time to, to end it and to end a lot of other cases that are open in Pictou County, you know, because... Um, People are older now, they need to come forward, they need to give some of these people peace in their lives, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just a shame for people to have to live like this, you know, and and have uh, mothers and, and families um, just <laughs> devastated over, over other people's doing, you know, things to families like this. Yeah, and, and having to live in fear as well, I would think, like, if they, like, nobody wants to be watching behind their back all the time and worrying about what they're going to say or who's going to find out what they know, like, even for, even for Jeff, like, you don't want to have to live like that. No, no, uh, it was a few months after Lynn disappeared. Um, I was over in, uh, do you remember Zellers? Um, yes. I was over in there, over in the mall, and he followed me over there. He was in the mall with one of his friends, Louis Bowden, and followed me. And I was hysterical. I was pregnant. Oh for near due to give, nah, give birth. I had to call my mother and stepfather to come and get me. I was that upset. You know, and it's stuff like that. That You know what I mean? You shouldn't have to live in fear like no, that. No, you shouldn't have to be scared of, of anybody. Yeah. And the, the fact that people are still scared of him, even though he's in his, you know, his mid-60s and they're still yeah. afraid of him. Like, yeah. that's just, uh, it's just not right. About 40 years being scared of somebody. I mean, I would be scared of him too. The yeah. the stuff that yeah. he's done to women with no problem. Yeah. None. Now, mom, she, uh, there was a, a, a thing done in the paper about him. Um, you know, about him doing this and all that. They gave mom's address and she was terrified he's, he was oh going to come to the house. What she was saying? I mean, she was a senior assistant at that time, you know, and she got a, an alarm set in and everything. And I mean, you shouldn't have to live like that. No. You shouldn't. Yeah, but all our lives, all our lives, yeah. you know, and that's how other people are living just like us too, that have people that have killed and, you know, they're looking for the killer and that's how they have to live. And we're not alone, believe me, we're not alone.
In 2012, family and friends planted a tree in Lynn's honor and retraced her steps she made that day. They repeat this walk every year. In 2019, 40 to 50 community members gathered to do a special walk marking the 40th anniversary of her disappearance. There is a $150,000 reward for information on Lynn's disappearance leading to an arrest and conviction as a part of the Major Unsolved Crimes Program. If you have any information related to this case, please contact the Rewards for Major Unsolved Crime Program at 1-888-710-9090, RCMP, or Crime Stoppers. All that contact information will be in the episode notes. I want to thank Judy again for speaking with me and giving me all the information for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're not already, go follow me at Cold Canada Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can find Cold Canada on your preferred podcast platform. Just search Cold Canada Unsolved Murders or follow the link in the episode notes. My name is Heather Curran, and this has been Cold Canada Season 2, Episode 4. 